Hi everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me today on the Learner's Corner podcast. And I have a great episode for you today. Today, I'm talking with Sheila Wise Rao, who has a master's degree in counseling and is the executive director of the Rehoboth House, which is an international healing and reconciliation ministry. She she also has over 25 years of experience as a Christian counselor, spiritual director, educator, writer, and speaker as well. And she has written a new book about healing from racial trauma called Healing Racial Trauma, The Road to Resilience. And uh, that's basically what are going to, well, that's a lot of what our conversation is going to uh, consist on throughout all of it. And uh, particularly what our country has been through over the past several months and literally continues to be through as well. I think this is a conversation that you're going to find very enlightening and just help you become even more um, educated and and help lead to maybe figuring out some action steps for you as well as, as it concerns um, racial healing in our country as well me, with me being in the United States. But before we get into that conversation, I do want to let you know that the music that you're listening to is brought to you by my good friend, Sam Massey. And if you have any music or audio or video needs, be sure to hit him up. He would love to potentially work with you on any of that stuff. And you can just hit him up on his Instagram handle, which is at sammassey77. And without, uh, actually, before we get into that, I do want to remind you about kind of the purpose for this podcast. You know, here at the Learner's Corner podcast, This is the podcast for lifelong learners, and here we truly believe that we can learn from everyone and from anyone, from everything and from anything. And today uh, might might be a conversation that is really difficult for some of you to hear, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen. Because just because something makes us uncomfortable doesn't mean that we need, doesn't mean that we don't need to know it. Doesn't mean that it won't help us grow. And that's why, as uncomfortable as these conversations can be, this is ultimately why I love these conversations, because they help us continue to grow. And for me personally, they help me become more like Christ, because just from what I see, Jesus was constantly engaging people and constantly engaging in conversations that made other people uncomfortable, regardless of whatever it was, because he cared about the individual, because he cared about person. And that's what we want to do on this podcast. We want to engage in conversations just like that. That's why I'm so excited for this conversation that we're about to jump into with Sheila Wise Brown. Well, Sheila, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about your book, Healing Racial Trauma, and even just to talk with you about uh, kind of the things that you've learned as as a professional counselor as well. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'd be, I'm delighted. <laughs> yeah. And so just as, just as we get started, I would just love to uh, just ask you, what, what are some of the skills or some of the things that you've learned as a counselor that that have just made an impact on your everyday life? Well, you know, one of the things I always say to to people who are either interested in counseling, participating in counseling, or they're counselors, is that 
um, that we also need to do our own work. And I think that that's often um, not, the, it's often not the case that, you know, we, even as counselors, we're there to help people and serve others, but we need to also see someone and work through our own, our own stuff. And so for me, that is really um, having the accountability um, that comes from getting support, getting people that I can bounce things off of um, in terms of what it is that I'm experiencing, um, what I'm seeing. Uh, it's, it's important not to just kind of stay up in my head. So that was one of the things that I learned very early on in my counseling training was to have supervision, um, to get support and, and counseling therapy to work through my own issues. And, and I, I did that and um, continue to get support. And that's really been, that's been really important. Um, and then it's also about just checking in daily. So um, in, in lieu of not having that person to, to touch base with, I've learned to get quiet enough to listen to my own heart and to pray. And, you know, God knows me um, better than I know me and knows what's really going on. And so I take that time to really listen and to ask the Lord um, to show me what's going on, particularly when I'm feeling stressed or strained and I, or, or confused even. Um, and, you know, almost always I get a sense of what the real issue is. And it, it could be anything. It could be something really, really old from the past that is unresolved. It can be something just a, even a minor irritation. And, um, but the important thing is just taking the time to pray, also taking the time to journal and to, to write out. So often in, in the writing process, I've um, come in connection with what was going, going on inside. Mm-hmm. And I, I completely agree. I think one of, for me, I, I feel the same way of getting quiet and journaling helps me as well. What, like, what have you seen even just talking, like, why don't we do that though? Because I, I mean, it's help. I think everybody knows that it's helpful or, you know, imagines that and yet we don't do it as often as, as we probably should. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's, it's actually human nature and it's even, you know, going back to the fall that we like to hide. <laughs> we just do. Um, and, and we, we avoid things. We avoid difficult things. I think that actually is a part of human nature um, as a result of the fall, kind of coming out of that place where we, um, we hide and we also don't want to feel pain. Um, there's nothing in our culture that says, oh, it's okay to feel pain. Uh, and so we, um, to take that time to actually listen, um, sometimes we uncover some uncomfortable or even painful um, truths. Um, and areas where the Lord has his finger on, but we're like, eh, I don't know if I'm ready to deal with that. And, um, and so I think that's a huge piece of it. Um, and I don't think we fully know the value of uh, taking that time, allowing whatever is there to surface, uh, because we either think, what's the point of it? Um, it's just, you know, you know, if they were, I'm already feeling pain, what do I want more pain for? Um, and, but when you have a redemptive perspective and you know that God is bringing it up so that it's not going to be this kind of repetition that we've been caught in, in terms of pain, but that he's bringing it to the surface because he wants to address it and he wants to heal it. Mm-hmm. I, one of the things that I've, uh, tried to learn about a lot is, is how to become a better listener as well. And I know that that is, that's a prominent part whenever it comes to counseling and even just, um, even just being, being present with people. 
what have you learned that has helped you become an even better listener? Well, one thing is to to actually be present um, with the person that you are with. And oftentimes um, that's a struggle and that we are easily distracted. We're thinking about the next appointment or what's going to happen later in that day, what we have breakfast, any number of things that really prevent us from just being present with that person, listening to them without already jumping into our heads about what our response is going to be, what we, what should we say, what shouldn't we say, but to listen. And as believers, listening um, with this, this sense of God is present with me. I have um, the Holy Spirit who brings us into all truth um, to give wisdom and discernment about what needs to be said versus me. Um, Oftentimes you get into trouble with listening because we already have our idea of what needs to be said or what should be said. Um, Not even based on what the person has told us, just based on whatever, book learning, folklore, whatever. You know, we just come at it that way versus... I'm going to be present to this person and I'm going to just the ministry of presence. I'm going to listen. I'm going to ask for points of clarification if I don't understand what the person is saying, but I want to hear their heart. Um, when you come at it from that perspective, it's very different than I want to hear because I want this to be over or I want them to, um, I want to give them a pat answer um, or I, you know, this is an argument. So I want to get my point across. Um, so listening really is, um, it's a practice um, skill, and it's one of um, just committing to, to being there and, 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 and also looking at your response, that your response um, needs to be out of uh, how you're, rather than talking at the person, it's really um, joining with them, mm-hmm. uh, speaking uh, to them from a place of a heart of love and of compassion. And that's a very different, um, it's, it's a different posture. Mm-hmm. Whenever, whenever you're listening or in, in a session with somebody, are there certain things that you're listening for? Yeah. So I, um, you know, it, it just depends on the setting because I've done counseling um, in Christian settings as well as secular settings. I've worked with a broad range of children to adults. And um, so it, it really is about listening for their heart or their kind of pain points. And sometimes people can't really articulate it, uh, what that is, but it's in the, converse, the conversation as they're sharing that if you really are listening, you can pick up, um, you can pick up places where they're asking questions, even though they didn't ask a question. And so it may be a question about, okay, where's God in the midst of their pain? Um, it could be a question about, I don't understand. I don't understand why this happened to me as a child. Um, and, and part of the work of counseling is really helping the person to kind of uncover what those questions are. They can't, um, they can't articulate them. Um, and so there are ways of just being present with them and asking them to talk more about that. And eventually as they're talking more about it, um, they kind of tend to circle back around to the question mm-hmm. that they have. Do you have any favorite questions that you like to ask people in your sessions? Um, I often ask them, where is God? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, where's God in the midst 
It's like whatever it is. Like, and they could say why well, he's not here. I mean, they could, they can honestly say whatever. I'm not. I don't come at them with, you know. Well, this is what the word says, which is true, and we do bring in scripture, but um, you know, it really is one of. I think that for for many people that isn't. Uh, when they're in pain, it's hard to locate. Well, where is God? And where have you seen God at work? Um, how is He moving in your life? How is He? How is He exhibited Himself in the past? Um, where do you think God is leading you in terms of future? Mm-hmm. I I think you hit on something there with uh, with us being able to just sit in people. And I mean, you've alluded to it a few times of sitting people there with our pain. And I think the tendency of all of us is we want to jump in and we want to provide, we want to provide those answers, especially whenever you throw in the mix of, uh, of Christianity in there. And we, sometimes we could feel like, Hey, we have, like, we have the truth. We have the answer. Um, what, what helps you from keeping in and jumping in and saying, Hey, you know what? It's going to be okay. God is for you. God is with you. What helps you from jumping in and giving those answers? Well, I mean, part of it is training, but part of it is can, you know, just a commitment to have the patience to really walk with people in the midst of their, because they're, they're still trying to figure out, like, what is this? You know, what am I feeling? What do I feel about what just happened? Um, for, for me to come in quickly and put a Band-Aid on it, um, I just know that. And I have to be aware, I have to also just be aware of, because that's human nature, is that you want to fix, you know, particularly your pastor, your counselor, that's, you, you want to help. <laughs> and so, um, and I agree that, uh, you know, that the Lord is is God, he is Jehovah Rapha, he's the God who heals. So undergirding that, yet yeah, God really wants us to come to him just as we are. So it isn't about fix yourself up, but fix yourself up quick. It's, um, you know, sometimes he took, Jesus took the long way around. And it was just like, really? Lazarus is like dying. What is your problem? <laughs> you know, um, but he's like, I'm doing something, I'm doing something here. And so, um, so that's, it, that's it. It's just one of, okay, God, what are you doing here? Can I join you in what it is you're, what you're doing in this person's life versus me? Um, so I'm, I'm not even scared of people being messy and taking time and meandering. Whatever I really believe that God is, uh, He's there, and as long as a person is really, you know, it's not even as long as I think, you know, people generally who are in pain, they, they, they want someone to journey and, and people to journey with them, and um, and to continuously point them to Jesus, but in a way in which we're going to Jesus together. Not, well, He's over there; you need to go there, um, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's so powerful. And um, before we move on to the next thing, just thank you for doing that, and thank you for journeying with people on there as well. Uh, and now, just as I mentioned, you've written this book called "Healing Racial Trauma: The Road to Resilience." And just as we're getting started on that, just in in your journey to even into writing the book, and even after the book has come out, where have you found out has been the most like Oh, I did like I didn't know this. Whenever it comes to racial trauma or even um, healing, whenever it comes to that, what are you finding out that most people are like, "Oh, I didn't know this" or "I didn't understand this"? Yeah, uh, I think two things. One is that they they were unaware of the pervasive nature of racism and racial trauma, and so 
um, because in the book, um, the book really focuses on how racism impacts various people. So it's not just a black and a white issue, um, but we're talking uh, indigenous people, we're talking biracial people, um, we're talking uh, what? <laughs> Latina, the Latina story in there, there's an Asian um, story in there. And, and so to varying degrees, um, people have Afro-Caribbean story, um, African-American, um, yeah, Black stories. So there's, there's a range of stories of people who've experienced racism in various forms and everything from the Asian story, um, Nori and his experience, his father was in, interned as a child, um, in Japanese internment during World War II. And just the impact of that and how that affected like the next generation. Um, it affected Nori's father and then it affected Nori and his sister and uh, mother as well. Um, and so in those stories, we see uh, over time how racism um, through generations impacts individuals. And, and so people, one, some people didn't even know about the internment story, which is interesting and kind of shocking. Um, but a lot of people are not really clued up about history. Uh, there's a lot of history around Boston. Uh, that's where I'm from. And just going through the whole busing period in Boston and some of the dynamics in the city. Um, so that's that's one issue. Um, there's a South African story as well. We, we spent 10 years in South Africa. Um, and so there's there's that piece. Uh, so so people were, were surprised at the, the stories and the stories are contextualized in um, what is currently happening. It's also... Um, it's rooted in scripture and, um, and there's also research in there. And so um, I think the, 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 I guess the bigness of it um, was surprising. And when they actually read like, okay, this is what, when we talk about racism, it's not just, oh, this is about hating people. Like white people hating black people, that's not it. It's, it's pervasive, it's historical, it's interpersonal, it's systemic. It has to deal with public space issues and we're dealing with that now, like tearing down monuments, what stays, what goes. Um, it's about who gets to live where. It's about environmental racism where um, you know poor black and brown communities have poor water quality, air quality. It's just, it's a certified fact. So all of these areas that I'm naming, this is data. The data is out there, the research is out there, it's there. Um, and then we have internalized racism, where there are people who um, who have basically internalized kind of self-hatred of themselves, or they engage in this kind of defensive othering, like, I'm not one of them, those people, although those are my people, but I'm not like those people. Um, and so you have all of this. So when we talk about racism, that's how big it is. It's not one thing. And I think people are kind of like, wow, that really brings some clarity about what it is we're really talking about here. Um, and this is, we're not talking about, I'm not even mentioning like microaggressions that happen, um, you know, the whole, this interpersonal stuff with gaslighting, like those are things that um, that Black and Indigenous and other people of color face on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. uh, so people are, are shocked at that. Um, and then they're, they're also shocked about how the symptoms of racial trauma, because we're constantly having to deal with this on these multiple layers, that it becomes compounded, um, that the trauma is compounded and we don't really have the space to kind of, um, unless we take the space, we don't have the space to, to actually work through it because the next incident occurs and the next one. 
Um, and we, we're also facing vicarious trauma in that we're seeing the videos. And so when the video of George, George Floyd happened and everybody watched and they were horrified, it was particularly horrifying to Black folk um, because uh, for us, it's not just about, um, and I don't want to say for every Black person, but for many of us, that represented like, okay, that could be my husband, that could be my son, that could be my nephew um, or my brother. Um, because that is just one incident. There have been multiple incidents. Um, and so, uh, and it's just, that's the tip of the iceberg. It's not just that, but um, to see the callousness of that and the coldness, the cold bloodedness of it was just devastating um, to watch and traumatizing. Sometimes. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things um, that that maybe right now in this time is, is just bringing, for, particularly, I'll say, um, for maybe for white people, is it's just bringing to light, as you said, like so many things of like, hey, I, I don't know how many conversations I had, I've had of like, hey, I didn't know, you know, X, Y, and Z, or hey, I didn't know about this. And, um, I'm I'm just curious. Uh, maybe this applies to everybody. How can we be more proactive in in discovering the realities of the world that we live in and of our societies and of our communities instead of waiting for something like tragic will happen with George Floyd to happen and then we find out on the back end? Um, how can we be more proactive in that? Well, you know what I I, I find it interesting. People say that they don't know because this is. I mean, there have been, like, the, the numbers are huge in terms of what has been happening. I think what has happened is there's been this kind of confluence of events that have occurred. And so COVID has forced everybody to be home on lockdown. Um, our usual distractions, like, you know, whatever sports team is playing and who's in whatever final. And um, I can go to the, you know, eat at a restaurant or some people go out to the bar or the party or whatever. All of that was on shutdown. And so it was a moment where, and it's been a moment of focus. You know, the usual you know, distractions, addictions, all of that, uh, we didn't have ready access to that. We, yes, we were still on some people binging Netflix or whatever. But for the most part, some of our major distractions weren't there. And so we were all watching this at one point in time where it just became undeniable. And um, I was listening to um, someone in, uh, I who it was, but she she said, you know what? It's it's a the question is what is it that you had to tell yourself to not know that? Like you had to tell yourself something. You had to say, well, it didn't matter, or that's not true, or that's just an isolated incident, or what did you have to say? Because uh, you know, there's there's the data is there, the research is there, the books are actually there, and so. Um, so now people are discovering, I'm glad, I'm glad that people are waking up, but the question, an important question is why did you not see this before? Cause this is not good. So, um, yeah. And I think that it's, um, it is a wake up call and, and it's a good wake up call. Um, and then, you know, the, those books are in the library. They're online. The articles are all there. It's all there. It's all there. So people who say, well, we need to do form a committee or whatever. You don't need to form a committee. It's all there. You don't need to do research. Don't spend another dime on doing data. It's 
all there. Yeah. No money for that. <laughs> Just collect the data, sit down and, and let's make a plan. <laughs> that, uh, that question that you said is so powerful. Um, like, I'm, the, what did I have to tell myself in order to not see it? And like, uh, I just see the implication, like, I think the implications for it are just literally, like, you can just take that question and apply it everywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you, you mentioned internalized racism before. And can you, can you just say more about what that is, um, how it shows up? you know, obviously internally and how, how does that internalized racism, racism, even, even move into more of an external form as well? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, when people have experienced, uh, racism and, and, and maybe they have it to a certain degree, or they have formed kind of a narrative in their mind about, um, and, and some of it's connected to the notion of American exceptionalism. It's sort of like, well, if you just pour some by your bootstraps, everything will be fine. Like everything's on an equal plane. There's no problem. Um, and and then you begin to um, respond one of two ways. One is that internalizing the racism and that of looking down at yourself and kind of a doubling over, like you know, everything is hopeless. Um, or it it becomes one where there actually is a hatred of you know. It would be hatred of a person's blackness, or um, you know that they're Asian, or that they're Latinx. It's just, uh, and so exhibiting coming out of that place becomes this very kind of a hard edge, uh, very judgmental um, kind of a place where the person is internally judging themselves as not as good, as bad, as um, not equal, or they buy into the exceptionalism part, and it's like I am. You know, I pulled myself above my bootstrap. I'm a black person. I'm a self-made woman or man, and um, and those other black people are not that, and um, and they just need to get their act together. And so, uh, what happens publicly is those the, those people, whether they're black or brown, are kind of propped up and shown as, look, look at so and so, and we're seeing that on the internet. You know, where those people are being put forth, and they have their sound bites about systemic racism doesn't exist. You know what? That's that's crazy. That's ridiculous. This is not made. There are this data. There's research about where people live. What are they encounter with medical? Even with COVID, I, I sit on the community ethics board for Harvard Medical Schools, and they're they're teaching hospitals. The hospitals are grappling with this issue. Like, how who do you treat? How do you treat them? Why is there disparity in terms of treatment? Why is there why is there high death rate from COVID in Black and Brown communities? And it's not about do we eat or not eat? How would how do we eat, et cetera? What are the comorbidities? If you don't have the services in the community, the hospitals are in disrepair, often not of the best standards uh, and quality. And so um, these are factual things. Um, this is not, it's not made up. So to have a, a black or brown person kind of stand up and say things like, oh, systemic racism doesn't exist everything is fine. And people who are literally living on the ground, there's a lack of compassion, a lack of understanding that if, if you're going to criticize somebody in terms of how they eat, yet they live in a food desert where there is no supermarket. There's little, little corner stores that sell barely anything. And there's lots of fast food restaurants. You know, uh, you can blame the person, but, um, you know, 
Are they, do they have ready access to that? Do they have ready access to healthcare, um, quality healthcare? Uh, so uh, that's, that's been the disturbing part is the, the people who are out there. And they generally have a very nasty, biting tone. It's very judgmental. It's bitter. There's nothing Christian about it whatsoever. Um, there's no Christ-likeness. There's no compassion, no nothing. And even if there's something in there that what they're saying, there's an, a shred of like truth, it is like so shrouded by such bitter uh, nastiness that it's really, um, it's just distasteful. And particularly when people are dying, um, it's really distasteful. Mm-hmm. One, one of the things that uh, that I've just uh, experienced of you talking about um, black or brown people who are, who are, um, who are saying things, whether it be on news stations or in the articles that are, that are, that are trying to shift the narrative or trying to shift the story. Um, like I've, I've seen the negative because people point to those people to do it. And I was just going to say, can you just comment on that just a little bit more? Yeah, there's lots of videos being surfaced around social media um, with those, those folk and kind of pointing to them as look, look at this. And, you know, and it's sad. It's sad when you have people like Herman Cain who just died of COVID-19 falling into some narrative of whatever, like this isn't an issue. You know, one of the issues with uh, racial trauma and the impact on black and brown people physically is that we just in terms of that level of stress has affected um, us on multiple levels in terms of high blood pressure, heart disease. This is not related to what we eat. This is about the, the weight of that stress and that strain we've been carrying. So we have people, um, you know, they'll point to him and he was like, I don't know if he was immune. I'm not really sure. But, you know, and then he, he gets COVID-19 and he's a high risk population. He's, he's in that group. Um, but then you have them pointing to other people who are chilling stuff because they got a book coming out or whatever. And they just, you know, so they're being as controversial and as just vile as possible mm-hmm. just to try to um to get their numbers up and it's it's actually pretty pathetic and sad um so and and then we have you know well let's look at justice is not a bible issue i'm just like did you read the bible really like old testament new testament like how could you even picture or just say that justice and righteousness is the foundation well seriously i mean you know, what does the Lord take for you to do good, do, live justly, act right? I, I just don't understand. I don't understand how anyone could say that. And then we have that um, social justice is um, critical race theory. It's just like, please, you know what? It's all, I feel like these are all straw, straw men that kind of lift it up. Well, it's Marxism. It's like, well, then, you know what? Seriously, Jesus was a Marxist then. Really? Because when he said, to the person, um, they're like, well, when did we see you hungry and without clothing and in jail? And we, we didn't see you. And he's like, you know what? When you did, when you helped the least of these, you helped me. Like, do you get it? And so for someone to say, well, justice is, and this, oh, Acts, the book of Acts, where they shared their stuff. Oh my gosh, that is Marxism. Really? No, they had all their goods in common. Oh my goodness. So I just, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think you're just hitting on it. We're, we're reaching a, a time to where our following Jesus and our American values are conflicting with another. And we're trying to figure out what that, 
yeah, just navigate through all that. But I, I think the thing too is just like people pick up the Bible and read it. No, real seriously, don't listen to somebody telling you when to read it. Read it. If you just want to stick to the new, even just stick to the New Testament, whatever. Just really read it. Read the Bible. Look at Jesus. How did he actually interact with people? Was he nasty and just okay? And then people point to, well, he, you know, he overthrew the tables in the temple, and that's a whole different thing. But generally, his interact engagement with people, Samaritans, awful, awful, horrible Samaritans. You know, he was there. He went out of his way. So anyway, don't get off that. Uh, I'm I'm with you because that's something that uh, that I've been thinking about um, a lot too. Is that we have we live in a time to where people just want to be told what to do and don't want to do the work of finding out what's really happening and even thinking for themselves as well. One of the things uh, that I would love to uh, just you know we've we've talked a lot about um, kind of the reality of the situation. I would love to talk about what does what does healing look like for this then what can, cause I think, you know, you were hitting it, the nail right on the head. Whenever you talked about, you know, the community of acts and it, it was everybody doing their part, sharing and working together towards that. Can you just talk about what, what does healing look like and how can each of us play a role in that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, it's, what I healing is really, um, it's on a continuum and it's a journey. Um, and, when we start with like the individual who's carrying the pain of racial trauma. And so they're experiencing symptoms of racial trauma and it can be fear, it could be depression, it could be anxiety, um, shame, it could be hypervigilance. Um, you see addictions kind of surface around um, racial trauma. Uh, and um, I talked about the physical stuff that we experience in our bodies and just holding on to that, sp- that stress is really toxic. Uh, and it also affects our relationships. And so as we're looking at where, how do we uh, uh, get healing in those particular areas, it does require an intentionality about it. So it requires getting quiet, but also getting help. And so, and so whether that help comes from being with a therapist, with a pastor, um, in a group setting, um, so that you know that you're not alone, that you're not crazy, that you know, the thing, the way in which you're being gaslighted at work, um, but that's actually what that is, that, you know, your version of reality is actually the version that is true. Um, those things are really, really important as part of the healing journey. It's that acknowledgement of this is what happened to me. And um, like, this is what happened to me. <laughs> and, and not to excuse it away or try to fully even understand it, but more of uh, an awareness of of that and a sharing of it, so that you're no longer holding that in um, in your body. Yeah, and I, I think that one of our struggles is that we want to keep we've got to keep it moving. You know, we've got to keep we've got to go to work. We gotta, you know, we got to do the stuff. And so, um, to have those spaces are really important. Um, and for some, it's it's having those spaces where you know it's affinity groups. It's it's black folk who get in together and it's not about spending the time just complaining or whatever it is a time to really get restored and refreshed and strengthened to go back out there and then engage in the larger community or even in church of then engaging with the other folk in the church whether they're white or other people of color um or the people of color have a group but they come together 
with everyone and, and then do that second stage of the work of walking it out. Um, oftentimes for people who are in pain, um, so and we know this, whether it's an addiction support group or it's, um, you know, abuse, sexual abuse survivor support group, like people have no problems with that. Um, so in a similar way with racial trauma, it is really finding that place where you can heal and then go back out um, and, uh, you know, and get support um, in the broader, uh, in the broader church. So um, th that's part of it. Having um, soul care practices are really important. We're really looking at all the parts of who we are, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, educationally, all of that. And what are the things that we need to have in place that um, help us to one, heal, um, secondly, to develop a level of resilience that uh, as things continue to come at us, that we're, we're not buckled over and, um, you know, totally undone by those things because we've got the relational supports in place. Our, Spiritually, that's another absolutely important, essential part of soul care. That, you know, our relationship with God, like we're really pursuing, it's not like we're chasing after God, but we're really spending that time. We're taking the time, you know, we're journaling, we're in the word, we're, we're in worship, we're in fellowship, um, in, church, uh, in a church community, uh, and we're getting support on all of those levels. Um, listening prayer is really, really important. And that uh, is something that I, I do on a regular basis. And that is communication with God is a two-way. It's not just about me talking to God, whatever, complaining or, um, or even just, you know, bringing my pain to him, but listening for what is it that he want? What does he want to say to me? What does he want to say to me through scripture? What does he want to say to me through a worship song? Through walking in nature, going to the beach, what he's constantly speaking, what does he want to say through other people? And, um, and so when we have that kind of a posture, um, that is very healing because it really is engaging us in that moment. And particularly when something has happened, if there's been some kind of an incident, the, the sooner we address that incident, the better, um, rather than letting that, that stress and whatever the response was, whether it was anger or whether it was fear, just let it fester. Um, you know, looking for, taking that, that moment to actually go to God, go to other people and really share on that level. Um, I think other parts are just in terms of the physical thing of mm -hmm. um, really looking at how to get that stress out of our body so that we're not holding it. Um, and so whether it's, it's you know, some people run, some people walk, some people, it's, it's movement, it's dance. Um, how are we breathing? You know, is it shallow? Is our breathing shallow? We tend to, when we're really anxious, you know, it's almost like we're, our breathing shallow, we're holding our breath. Um, and just uh, getting in the quietness and just slowing down and just getting in touch with our, like what's going on physically mm -hmm. with us. You know, that's, I mean, because I think that that's another piece where we, we tend to check out, like we don't really know what's going on in our bodies until we're in excruciating pain. Um, meanwhile, there've been moments where our body's been like, hello, 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 hello. Um, but we've, we've not paid attention. Mm -hmm. For, for the person who, who they have a friend who is going through um, racial trauma and trying to figure out kind of their, their journey to wholeness or we have a family member 
who is going through it. What what does it look like to journey alongside that person? Well, I think that one of the, the major thing is, can you, we talked about this earlier, but the whole thing about being present, like, can you be present to someone who is sharing from their heart? And, and it can be excruciatingly painful. And, um, and whether they're dealing with grief, or even if they're dealing with anger and it's turned to rage, or can you be present to, you know, a black person who's enraged by what they saw? Um, can you just let them talk that out and um, and and to to just be present uh, in in the listening posture and and if you know it's, it's a time to pray, but it's really inviting the Lord to meet them in that place because the, the better than us trying to figure out well what do I need to say. It's like, Lord, what do you want to say to this person in the midst of everything that they're experiencing? And allow, allow him to, to inform that. Because often in the quiet, people will get a sense of what God is saying. Yeah. Well, Sheila, this has been absolutely great. Thank you for thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I know people are going to want to continue to learn from you, to follow you, and even to pick up the book Healing Racial Trauma. Where where's the best place for them to pick up the book? Where's the best place for people to keep in touch with you? Um, well, uh, ivypress.com uh, is my publisher, so they they are selling the books online. Amazon, literally, the book is everywhere. So, so Amazon, Barnes Noble, Walmart site. Um, it's all over the place. Hearts and Minds books is another Christian outfit that's really, really good. Um, so, yeah, there's a bunch of places to, to get it. It's also in its book form, audio book, and also an ebook format. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And just thank you for, for all the work that you're doing, and not just with uh, not just with your work in healing racial trauma, but even for just meeting with the people and just being a good counselor and walking with them as well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, one quick thing, if people want to, I'm uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and face, Facebook at Sheila Wiseworld. It's, um, it's actually a personal page. It's not a, a business page. Um, but uh, Twitter and Instagram, it's at Sheila Wiseworld. And um, yeah, we post stuff. And I we're, we're looking at doing some groups um, in the fall. So we'll be doing a, a healing racial trauma group for people of color. Um, and uh, we also do, my husband and I wrote a book called The Well of Life, which is, um, it's a, it's more of an inner healing book and it's for anybody and everybody. So we had diverse groups of people go through that. And we're, um, we have done some revamping of that and that will um, happen in the fall too. So that'll be in October and that's something that anyone can access. So that really is working people, uh, people working through issues around um, early as well as more recent um, trauma, including all the range of trauma. So um, and uh, the ways in which it's affected relationships. And uh, we've been doing we did this in South Africa. We've run groups here, and um, now we're looking at doing something online. Um, we're going to focus a lot of it. Um, will be will be a longer thing for training trainers. So people who are on the ground like pastors or um, lay leaders who want to do something um, or take it and kind of, you know, fold it into whatever it is that they're doing. I'm going to be offering some training for that. So just to say, be on the lookout for that. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sheila, thank you so much for being on. 
the Learner's Corner podcast today. It was great having you. And again, just thank you so much for all just the work that you've done and just continuing um, to help us move as as a country more towards um, equality. And for you who are listening as well, thank you so much for listening today to the Learner's Corner podcast. I'm so grateful um, that you would choose to spend some of your time here with me, um, especially here to where at the Learner's Corner, you know, we want to create a safe place to where, uh, really, we want to create a safe place to have dangerous conversations, to uh, to have conversations to where we can talk and we can learn and we can listen and continue to grow as human beings. And so if you have enjoyed this conversation, if you want to make sure that you never miss a single episode, the best way to do that is by subscribing on your podcast player. Or if you happen to be listening on Spotify, which is my uh, podcast player that I listen to, you could just go ahead and uh, hit the follow button on there for Spotify. And uh, you'll never miss a single episode because it'll just appear in your feed. And uh, if you have any questions, if you would love to talk more, um, or if you have any suggestions for things that you would love to cover on the podcast, I would love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at my Instagram handle, which is Caleb J. Mason. And I would love to hear from you from guests, from certain topics that you would love us to cover on the podcast. And thank you so much for listening today. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing.